Today's full-length interview is a corker. Marlin and Stuart discuss the legal landscape and business case for accessibility in the US and Europe. 30 minutes of magic. We have two of the experts from the (laughs) Carrots and Sticks panel that we've just had. Guys, do you want to introduce yourself, Marlin? Yes, uh, I'm Marlin. I head the Norwegian Authority for the Universal Design of ICT. I'm Stuart Seaborn. I'm the Director of Litigation for a nonprofit disability rights legal center called Disability Rights Advocates uh, that's based in California. We have offices in New York. Uh, we're in the States. Great. Thank you so much. Well, listeners to the Tech Show Procast will have heard me interview Marlin recently in the feed. Um, loads of good stuff that we could revisit there. But let's start with dominoes, shall we, Stuart? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Or if you want to talk about, you know, the the main takeaways of the panel session that has just ended, but by all means. So uh, Domino's, it's it's based in the circuit. That, you know, this, the U.S. is divided into circuits. We're in the ninth circuit. It's based in the circuit uh, where I practice. Uh, one uh, kind of beautiful thing about the, the Domino's decision is that uh, basically tells people in the U.S. Uh, you don't have to wait for the regulators to act or to um, to set s- standards, uh, you can still use. We we still have a, what we talked about in the session: a private right of action, a right to go into court. Uh, so anybody who's impacted uh, by a civil rights uh, violation uh, for people with disabilities under our disability laws uh, can actually challenge that directly in court. And if they prevail, they can get their fees and costs covered. And that's really been the kind of impetus um, for advocacy for the last thirty years. One thing uh, I was intrigued by with the panel is that we uh, were starting to see a little bit of a backlash against uh, the litigation approach. Uh, There are some folks that are uh, suing lots and lots of companies uh, and not necessarily sticking around to see the accessibility solutions put in and just just, uh, demanding payment up front. And that's uh, caused the uh, business community and even some of the the regulators to think about curtailing uh, some of these rights. Um, Hasn't happened yet. Uh, but one of the things I was intrigued by was other approaches, given that our stick that we've been using for 30 years may be uh, uh, possibly reduced at some point, uh, what else works. And I was particularly intrigued by Malin's discussion of what's happening in Norway, where the regulators themselves, uh, not only do they have the power for enforcement, but they do inspections. Uh, and that's something that uh, I certainly think would, would translate well, um, whether it's uh, just you know, doing inspections of large companies or large covered entities, I think that would go a long way if the results were published. Um, so that was something I was I was I was pleased with. Still on the stick side, um, the other thing that I was intrigued by uh, in terms of what's happening with Access Israel is that they've had kind of a balanced approach. They've really taken a kind of publicity uh, approach to who's doing accessibility well and who's not. Uh, and I think uh, I'd like to go back and, and talk to our clients, uh, particularly our organizational clients, about how they can, you know, make the best use uh, of not only the, the public shaming, but also the public praise, because uh, I think that'll go a long way. So I, I appreciated hearing that as well. For folks in Europe, um, I actually really do think you need both uh, the carrot and the stick, and including folks in, in the UK. So I'm hoping that some teeth uh, get put into the legislation, and I'm going to be tracking it um as as it as it unfolds uh we we are impressed with uh the the kind of the web uh, access standards uh, i wish our our regulators would put standards in place but after the domino's decision uh, i don't feel as urgent about it at least until the next case comes around 
but I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued all, uh, all around. I think that we are reaching a point where we need to consider carrots in the States and we're here to learn. Um, you know, guys, Stephen Scott here, and uh, I, I just, I'm intrigued by what happened in the States because it does seem, I mean, the States always feels to me very much a litigious uh, culture, essentially, that, that, you know, you take the company to court, you, you know, I'll see you in court, you know, all this, it feels very, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, however, it's interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued to know what you think is the best approach. Is is it the case of you need both, or is it the case that one actually does slightly outweigh the other in the sense of the stick? Uh, because otherwise, um, what would have happened with Domino's? What would have happened here in the UK with other things? We're not as litigious here in the UK. What do you think is, is the best course of action? Does one outweigh the other? I don't know if one outweighs the other. The one thing I'll say with a company like Domino's is it would not have done something uh, but for action in the courts, and there still are in, and you know, in the U.S., uh, we we hear about it every day. From, you know, our, our constituent groups and client groups are constantly informing us of folks uh, in terms of of, of companies uh, and even government entities that have the resources to make accessibility improvements. Um, they just need to educate themselves. Uh, and be willing to do so. So I, I feel like the stick is necessary. We've had to litigate several of these issues. Um, we're, we're trying other approaches, as I mentioned, the structured negotiations, which is essentially keeping it out of court. Um, but I feel like you need the stick uh, in addition to the carrots. I would love to see incentives um, for both companies and government entities kind of built into uh, some of the, the regulations uh, so that, the, you know, we're, we're working with, uh, you know, there's some kind of positivity that results when companies take action. Uh, I, I'm also uh, anxious to see statistics uh, when they evolve in terms of uh, the market power of the disability community. I feel like the more that that's out there and, and public, um, the better it will be to make that kind of carrot approach. I love the fact that they did it in Israel kind of without statistics first, um, mm. and it worked. Uh, so I feel like that's something we can learn from. But I would like to see the development um, and, and furtherance of kind of studying how you can demonstrate the market share and market power uh, because you know the, the disability community is is is, is uh, both with its buying power and its size uh, probably much larger than a lot of these folks think uh, when they're doing their designs. So, Marlin, whenever I think about Norway and Scandinavian countries in general, you know they're so civilized, they're so forward-looking, and kind of embracing diversity. How important have the um, well, both the carrots and the sticks been recently? Now, the the kind of enforcement angle is relatively new, isn't it? So how have companies embraced the business case for digital inclusion? Um, I was so surprised when the statistic you gave me of 51% as the base level when you started your, I mean, that's that blows completely out of the water what we have here in the UK with regards to level of compliance. So, you know, it sounds like the carrots were quite juicy, quite um, tempting for companies over there already. Well, I think uh, what is important to note or my takeaway from today is that uh, I fully agree with Stuart. I think some kind of stick uh, is absolutely necessary. Uh, we we tried only carrots for a long time in Norway up until uh, 2008 uh, and then saw the need for actually doing something to enforce it because it wasn't moving along fast enough uh, in our opinion. Um, but um, I think that uh, uh, 
the fifty one percent or the take for, or the, the the feedback from the businesses uh, is very different. Some people, some businesses um, embrace this and see, you know, the business potential and also the it's it's profitable with an aging society and with you know uh, big user groups being left out. It's of course also a big customer group uh, that you can tap into. Whilst other businesses have been very. Um, restrictive or very opposed i i would say um and um so i think if you if you talk to different businesses you will get very different answers so it's not like everything is moving along smoothly can, can I just ask, opposed to what what is it that businesses are opposed to well i think uh in our experience, the first reaction when um, we make them aware this is a regulation is often that accessibility is very difficult, it's very expensive, and it's not really, uh, um, they don't have that kind of users. <laughs> typically, Blind statement. people don't come here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We <laughs> no had, we had no. a mun- municipality <laughs> leader once saying that there are no blind people in our... <laughs> so, Which is crazy when you yes. think about it, isn't it? So we have put a lot of emphasis on just like conveying the message this is not for blind people alone this mm. is for everybody and uh, that everybody in some time course of their lives are going to meet some kind of barriers and this is what we as a society now expect you to do if you're going to provide a service you have to like uh, adhere to some minimum requirements uh, that we as a society actually expect you to do but then you have to move quite fast over to and this is also business wise for you to do and this is how you can do it and this is one of our maybe experiences that um, it's the first pushback that is very hard and very expensive is often overcome if you explain exactly what do you need to do well you have to turn up your contrast and you have to text your videos and you have to and a lot of aha moments have followed uh, from this that okay it might not be so difficult or might not be so expensive especially if you plan it for your next release for instance or that you can get practical solutions Uh, so if you can get to that part of the dialogue as soon as possible and not get stuck in the should we do it or should we not do it uh, you should do it and this is how you can do it and it might not be as uh, difficult as you might have thought in the first place. And I think the ownership of enforcement by the Norwegian government is just such a key element to pushing the agenda forward. Because prior to that, you know, there might have been civil cases, as there have been in the States and here in the UK, but it wasn't high profile enough. It wasn't public enough. I mean, I'm not sure about the States, but certainly here in the UK, many, many uh, cases were completely under the radar because part of the out-of-court settlement was an NDA because nobody wanted to be in the public eye. I mean, obviously, dominoes are a notable <laughs> exception um, over there. But yeah, so it didn't push the agenda forward at all. So for a government body to own it, to make it a public-facing exercise, which I'm really hoping is the case with the EHRC and the public sector regulations over here, um, adds that incentive because then it turns the um, conversation from, well, why should we do it or do we really have to do it to, you know, the needle tips over into the right side, which is okay, we have to do it. And however grudgingly they begin that journey, they then get all the benefits. They then can start 
having meetings about, okay, we're having to do this. So now let's see if we can actually do it in a way that will really help the brand. And then they start to vie with each other, like we have in certain sectors here in the UK, particularly in retail banking, where they're all vying with each other to be the best in the digital inclusion space. Is there a similar process underway in the States, for example? Uh, not not that necessarily that I'm aware of. The um, One of the things I loved about the Norwegian model is um, not only that, that it's this kind of public warning, um, but that the regulators were willing to do daily fines. Yep. And that's that's something in <laughs> the States yeah. we see in, um, in lots of different areas. And, and as I mentioned that, you know, our Justice Department and the state uh, regulators do have enforcement power. Sometimes they do enforcement. Uh, but this is the kind of thing, you know, in the U.S. we see in the context of large antitrust violations or, you know, something that, that is, you know, traditionally... Uh, you know, big companies are going to take notice of. And the, the fact that the uh, Norwegian government was uh, doing it both publicly, uh, but also willing to kind of, you know, document for others, everybody's watching that these fines are happening um, is, is amazing to me. And I feel like that's, you know, that's one of the takeaways I want to, you know, when we write uh, and, and our constituents write uh, regulators, that's, that's, you know, something to take note of. I wanted to go back to the point about uh, NDAs and public disclosures. One of the things that our clients have told us uh, as we've kind of litigated using the stick over the years is that it's not enough uh, to get a settlement just for a particular group uh, or, or for an individual. And they have actually required, and now we make it a, a policy in practice, that the, uh, the the settlement, particularly the accessibility solution, what you know, what the problem was and what was done, be made public as a part of the settlement agreements. One of the things we've seen that surprised us is that that a lot of companies, uh, if you don't, you know, if the settlement is worded in in a, in a positive, you know, kind of forward-looking way, are willing to make the settlements public, uh, and that we think is is hopefully decreasing the need for litigation. We've seen it in a variety of of not necessarily access to technology. Um, uh, settings, although although we have there too, but in the physical accessibility world, that kind of like you know public settlement with both the company and the advocates going out hand in hand uh, has made the next go around much easier for the next company. And so I feel like that's something that um, as advocates uh, in other lo- locations are considering what to do in terms of the enforcement power, having the ability to make things public is is key. If it becomes uh, if it goes under NDA, then of course that means that then the success in a sense goes away with it and it makes it harder to showcase that in the future. It's interesting. But I also think one of the themes that's coming out of Texture Pro already is value of disabled people, the value of us. And I find it interesting because, of course, you're from the States. Dare I mention the T word? But Trump, you know, is not being exactly, let's say, an advocate for, well, anybody, frankly, but certainly disabled people. Uh, that's not uncommon, though. I mean, that's not unusual. I mean, I, I, you, you can tell me, but I don't get the impression that disability features very highly on anyone's radar in this in the States. Perhaps, obviously for charities, obviously for organizations who advocate for disabled people. But in the, the general context, what do you think? So it has, uh, it's had its ups and downs. There have been certain um, uh, regimes that have... Um, done more advocacy, more kind of public focus uh, than others. Um, I think, you know, what we're seeing, in addition to the fact that the regulators aren't acting now, um, one of the things that community groups have have had to do is do things themselves uh, and kind of get things in the public eye themselves. Uh, The the thing that is um, most kind of concerning to me uh, about that approach is when, you know, when companies don't have 
uh, people with disabilities that are employed there and, and employed, as, as we talked about in the in the session, in decision-making capacities, I, I do worry that, that it, it, it looks like a much kind of smaller voice than it actually is. And so one of the things that, um, you know, we've noticed when there is active inclusion, um, the voice is, you know, is heard and then, you know, then, then it grows. And I feel like even with, um, you know, whatever administration is out there, uh, you know, you, you could use that, that kind of that outreach and, and active inclusion piece uh, to, to spread the word about um, the, the kind of the voice of the disability community. But I think, I mean, I think you're right. It's, it's, um, we, 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 in the States, we often refer to it as the last frontier of civil rights. Uh, and the pace is, is, is much, uh, much slower than we'd like. You know, we uh, we're still doing. You know, unfortunately, we're still doing some of the same kinds of cases uh, that that our organization DRA was doing 25 years ago, and that um, you know, particularly with with things like access to education and employment, in addition to technology, we shouldn't be there. And so the the fact that the the voices aren't being heard uh, is a problem. And we're you know we're going to try and uh, continue to brainstorm about the solutions. But I think the inclusion piece you can't have one without the other. You need folks. Uh, at included at at, at uh, higher levels and, and companies being willing to, to treat inclusion as more than just a box to check. I, I do so. This is a, a topic that really engages me because in Norway, one of the holes in the, our legislation is the one area which are exempt from the regulation is the digital um, solutions in, used in the workplace which is one I'm pushing for to be included <laughs> because uh, I think we are now moving, if we're going to move accessibility into more mainstream, uh, not like just the right to be included and the right to ha- make use of services, we're also as a society robbing ourselves for the potential that, you know, people with disability have to bring to the table. It's not like we are going to make services accessible for some groups. We need them on board on what we are going to do and we need them in the workforce and we need them in the education system. So to include uh, digital uh, solutions in the workplace is uh, something I am really pushing for and also to just like make people aware that this is not something we just want to do for some people. We want we need these people. We, you know, we need the potential that everybody has to bring into uh, the workplace and the the workforce. It's, why should we, as a society, rob ourselves for like I don't know, seventeen percent of the population is uninteresting to you know? It's <laughs> nothing it, to it's offer. Just, this doesn't it doesn't make any sense. But I think it's interesting because you pick, you said something earlier that really struck me in the way that we communicate about this topic mm. to businesses, to other organizations. And I think it's, it's interesting you said, you know, it's it's not just for blind people mm. or it's not just for deaf people mm. or it's not just for, it's for everybody essentially. Is that perhaps the key that unlocks this? That, that business, because this is the challenge, isn't it? Getting businesses to understand, getting people to understand. You're having the same conversation over and over again because it's not a national conversation. It's not appearing on television. People aren't talking about it all the time. Is it perhaps important, therefore, that we try and make it about everyone? Mm. Because that then then becomes relative to people, more relative than talking about that group of people over there in the corner who happen to be blind or mm. deaf or whatever disability they may have. Is that maybe the challenge? Well, I think at least we need to bring that perspective in because I think a lot of accessibility uh, or the accessibility community comes out from 
you know, from um, people that have this really urgent need to things have to work better. But me, to make it really interesting for businesses and just get them on board, you also have to have that broader ex- perspective uh, included. I think that it's not only about making you know this necessary changes for some, but you will at the same time uh, make it. Uh, good for everybody Absolutely. and you know so it, that has to be included because I, I I am sometimes afraid that if we focus too much on the rights of people that ha- need this you might lose somebody in the in the discussion that would be more interested if you could also talk about the potential and the the benefits of including it to everybody so I think we should try to balance those two in the dialogue and the discussion. I mean, there's a general recognition that diversity is a really good thing Mm. within organisations, within society, you know, um, gender, LGBTQ, etc. are very, you know, hot topics these days. And to leave disability out of the equation, one would hope that in uh, 2019, nearly 2020, you know, people would not see them as, as this other separate you know, outside the kind of diversity revolution that we're seeing. And to hear you say that, you know, in such a forward-looking com- uh, country as Norway that has this brilliant legislation with for externally facing digital products and services, that you don't have that in the workplace, I'm really surprised about that. I mean, here in the UK, under the Disability Discrimination Act, as it was since the late 90s, um, it was required both inside organizations and for, you know, customer facing uh, products. But there wasn't a requirement for proactively addressing those issues. And there would be this horrible catch 22, which is that an employer could quite rightly, quite easily say, I'm sorry, we can't employ a blind person or someone who needs to use Dragon or whatever it might be, because our systems don't work with it. And they literally needed to do nothing about it, because there wasn't the proactive element. And then 2010, with the Equality Act, that proactive requirement came in. So now they could no longer use that excuse. And so you almost in Norway need to not only have the legislation that covers it, but also the requirement that says, okay, it's not, you know, whatever your systems are today, however exclusive they are, however inaccessible, you need to sort them out really quickly because, you know, otherwise you're not going to be able to offer jobs to the right people, to the best person for the job in every case. Yeah, well, I think um, I think that's a, that's a totally fair point uh, because this is my concern as well. Of course, we have we have anti discrimination act in place, but it's not like you say the proactive part mm-hmm. that you actually it's not just that you shouldn't discriminate within the boundaries that you have, but that you also have to do something proactive, mm-hmm. uh, which is what I really. <laughs> would like to see uh, as the next step for the Norwegian legislation. Uh, Yeah. So one of the things we have in the States, particularly with employment, is a reasonable accommodation requirement that unlike uh, other discrimination laws, it doesn't require people to be treated equally. It actually places an affirmative obligation on the employer to provide something beyond mm. what the uh, you know the, the the person without the disability has in order to to, to you know put the folks uh, with disabilities on a level playing field. That often gets forgotten, and you know in in the work that we do, uh, where employers who you know for for lack of a better word appear to be well-meaning, but they don't realize that the, that you know you, there's an additional step to take. 
uh, for that inclusion, and they don't build it in at the onset. Uh, and then we realize that you know if if they were to build in systems like you know like systems compatible with with Dragon or screen readers or whatever. It wouldn't. It wouldn't keep getting brought up. Like this is something that would go on. You know, as people age, uh, you know, a variety of reasons why it would make uh, you know a large dis- a large difference uh, for inclusion, irrespective of this one case or you know one person that happens to need a screen reader. Uh, and so we we see that on the employment end quite a bit. We also see a lot of uh, lack of education in terms of policies where where the employers um, can't. Uh, you know, or say they can't accommodate, but they don't keep up education-wise with the technology. Uh, and you know, again, the, the the statute we have is supposed to keep up. You know, it's it's built to be flexible, uh, so that the reasonableness requirement uh, change. You know, mo- gets modified. Things are more reasonable as technology improves. But that's something. There's a, there's a huge education component for for employers because they've been doing things a certain way and haven't bought. You know, in some cases, you know, their their product may may involve uh, you know the most up to date technology, but how they treat their employees and the infrastructure they have has not. Absolutely. And of course, the irony in all of this is a lack of vision as well, a lack of vision in the abilities of disabled people. I mean, the technology is already there. That's the amazing thing. I mean, you can go onto any computer, you can turn on a screen reader now on any Windows PC or any Mac or any Chromebook. You can use the accessibility that's built in. Anyone can access that. So it's a case of managers, it's a case of directors, CEOs taking some time just to realize how even not not to understand how to use narrator on windows and you know get genned up on it but just to understand how a blind person for example like robin and i would use technology how do we do what we do uh, because that lack of understanding is what holds us back in a lot of ways isn't it robin yeah, and I would um, hesitate to mention the A word, Apple, in Google's headquarters here <laughs> in London. But um, arguably, as, as we sit here with MacBooks, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> arguably, we have seen a revolution in built-in accessibility, in digital inclusion, in mainstream products. You mentioned Narrator there, mm. and you know we really have seen a rising tide of accessibility and inclusion that has arguably been driven by Apple, and bringing it back to to legislation and regulations, I would argue, and I think it's quite a, a valid argument, a lot of people have um, voiced this, that Apple led that because of Section 508 in the States, which stipulated that if any tech provider wants to sell their goods, their services to the government, both you know national and federal across the States, then they need to be accessible. And that, at that point, Apple started to include built-in accessibility in their products. And we've seen a massive shift in uh, how inclusive products are over the last sort of 10 or 15 years as a result. So, yeah, I mean... So that says that the stick it, is more important than that outweighs. Certainly... On the scale, it, it tips it slightly, doesn't when it? When it came to saying, look, if you don't have accessible products, then you won't win this massive, massive, massive tender mm. to sell, you know... MacBooks or iPads or whatever to 10,000 schools across the US. Um, it really do- it does have teeth. I would just like to see it being Im- implemented and enforced on a company by company level when it comes to their digital properties, their websites, their apps. And hopefully the discussions that we've had today and some of the insights that we've gained will mean that a lot more people have an appreciation of how we need both carrots and sticks to push the agenda forward. 
Okay, so just you. just so want to say one thing about Section 508. We see that as both the carrot and a stick because it does provide incentives uh, for, you know, companies want that massive amount of government business, whether it's the federal government or the states, like the state of California incorporates 508. So it could be an incentive as well. The other thing that we've seen is some of the, the state courts have opened themselves up. There was just a case, uh, one of our colleagues, Tim Elder, uh, and some others brought that challenged uh, a contract uh, or a contractor who had who had applied to work for the state but hadn't complied with Section 508, uh, and even though they in the contract they said they would you know, com- comply with all applicable laws and regulations, well they didn't, and so there there's actually room to challenge the contract. You not used to be able to challenge just the, the government entity, and then they'd have to go after the the, the the vendor. Now you can do both, and so I'm hoping that you know with 508 there's going to be uh, a co- kind of combined carrot and stick. And we'll we'll see what happens. Yep. Guys, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so Thank you. much for inviting me. Thanks, Beth.